I decided I wanted to have the exposition of the Blessed Sacrament because I know everyone else likes to have Blessed Sacrament exposed as well. But at the same time, it seems that he seems to pour forth more graces when he's exposed. It doesn't mean that we don't have to learn to pray before the tabernacle when he is hidden. But in these moments of retreat, it's a special grace to be in his presence. Meditating upon our lives, meditating upon the gifts of creation and redemption, meditating upon the last things as well, helps us to desire to live well. But in the end, the center of our faith isn't just abstract concepts or realities, but it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what we're going to begin now in this meditation is to meditate Christ's love for us. That's why it's so convenient that we be here before Him exposed in the Blessed Sacrament. And we're going to begin with the, the contemplation of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. Since Christmas is coming, it's convenient to meditate upon the mystery we're going to celebrate. But at the same time, when St. Ignatius introduces those who are doing spiritual exercises into what is the second week of the spiritual exercises, he desires to present the figure of Jesus Christ to them. Because it's only Jesus, his person, which can truly inspire us to want to serve, to love God above all things and to change our life. In the Nativity, along with the Incarnation, are the first uh, contemplations that he proposes. So we're going to follow his method a little bit. St. Ignatius, his method of prayer is, is that it's a method, step by step, going through a meditation in order to seek to find that which I desire. In every meditation, there's a special grace that we are asking for. But he always reminds us that we need to begin with a preparatory prayer, saying to the Lord, Lord, may all of my thoughts, my words, my actions, all of my operations be purely uh, for you, for your glory. And then he says that we have to prepare the meditation by imagining the circumstances in which the mystery unfolds. In the mystery of the nativity, we read the story, we read the gospel, which comes to us in chapter Luke, chapter Luke, St. Luke, chapter 2, which says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment, when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be enrolled, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house in lineage of David, to be enrolled with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to be delivered, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, 
and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. St. Ignatius takes us step by step through the mystery, the circumstances which we need to contemplate, the time. She's almost, Our Lady is basically nine months pregnant. To travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem in those days was dangerous and difficult. We're talking about three or four days journey and no one did it alone. You always did it in caravans to protect from people who came to rob and to steal and to kill. And with the difficulties that you have of being pregnant. And it helps us to contemplate a little bit the mystery of their poverty, which is what we're looking to, to get out of this meditation. The great poverty in which our Lord Jesus Christ was born for love of us. So we just kind of have to make it a, 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 with our imagination, kind of act as if we were there. When they're leaving, getting ready to leave from Nazareth, getting things ready, what would they bring? They have food, if they had animals. A lot of, many people think, you know, the, the donkey, the ox, since they were present at the birth of Jesus, the nativity scene. What would Joseph be feeling? Would he be embarrassed? Would he be sad, angry at the fact that they have to travel at this time? Our Lady would speak to him, to comfort him, to console, to encourage the journey, how it would be, the difficulties, the heat or the cold, the dryness, going through the desert, everything. That's the idea of meditating. Let your imagination go wild. Traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem with the Holy Family. Those are the two preludes. I've combined them in one. In the third, he says, we have to ask the Lord uh, what we're looking for. And for us, we're going to ask the Lord the gift of an intimate knowledge of Him who was born in poverty for love of me so that I may better love and better follow Him. When I say intimate knowledge, I mean to say knowledge of his heart, of what he has in his heart, his love for me, and why he was born in poverty for love of me. Once we have the, the scene set up, that's when we have to begin to pray and ask our Lord to teach us uh, what it is that he desires us to see. St. Ignatius always recommends three steps in the meditation. First, to see the people, like I said before, to see Joseph, to see Mary. Jesus is still in Our Lady's womb on the way there. Or maybe you'd like to go straight to the scene when he's born and to see him small, humble, poor, wrapped in the swaddling cloths, laid in the manger. To see the persons, what they have in their hearts. To see a person isn't just like physically looking. It's knowing who that is and what they have in their hearts. You can see their faces and you can read what they have in their hearts according to what their face looks like. He also 
recommends that we hear the things that they say. Like I said before, what Our Lady says to St. Joseph, what St. Joseph says to Our Lady, or what they do not say. The divine silence of that night in which the Word made flesh was made manifest among men whom he loved and for whom he became incarnate. And lastly, to observe what they do, how they act. This isn't just for the, the, the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, but the very moment of the birth of Jesus. So we know that he was born in a cave, it seems like. These are some of the things that, at this point, this is the meditation that you have to do. And the best thing is that you do it the best that you can. St. Ignatius desires that those who give the spiritual exercises don't speak very much. Because when you, with your effort to meditate and to contemplate the mystery enter into the mystery at, with the light of the Holy Spirit, you seem to get a lot more out of it because it's something that is between you and the Lord alone and it fills your heart with grace. But I'm going to suggest a few points that could help. And above all, it's the poverty in which Jesus is born. We were in Holy Land a few years ago, I think it was two years ago, with Father Felix's 25th anniversary as a priest. And when we were visiting there, we saw how the houses were built. Because it's, it's a very dry land, and there's lots of caves in the hills, and people would claim a cave, basically, and build around the cave would be the entrance to their home. So it'd be like a front entrance, like a living room, and then there'd be an access to deeper parts of the house, which are in the caves. And one of the friars seemed to think, according to the words that are used in the gospel, it says that there's no place for them in the inn. It says that the word that comes out there is the same word that they use in Pentecost when he speaks of the upper room. There's no place for them in the upper room. Which to say, of course, because giving birth... You're ritually unpure, and since everyone lived there, that there's just they couldn't be there when it, she gave birth, so they had to go into the back part of the, the cave. So, I mean, it seems to have like a little bit of uh, scientific know-how behind it, you know, thinking, reasoning. But we have to kind of leave that aside because it's not normal that you lay a baby in an animal's feeding trough. The, the, the novelty, the newness of, what, of the experience of Jesus Christ is the fact that they had to lay him in a manger. Manger is from those of you who are Italians and you like to mangiare, la, pa, la pizza, la pasta, mangiare means to, to eat. You know, manger is an eating trough for animals. And where animals are, there are leftovers from what they've eaten uh, and also leftovers of what they've uneaten. You know? It's a very dirty, stinky place where you keep animals. Which I also find unlikely that in the very house they'd be keeping their animals. Like the animals would have to walk through the front door. So it's another thing that I have to say to the friar that might not be historically correct what he was suggesting about the upper room and things like that. We have to contemplate the mystery of the birth of Christ 
in the tradition, which has always contemplated the poverty of their arriving to Bethlehem. There's no place for them in the inn. They're just, I'm sorry, we're all full. But we have nowhere to stay. Can you give us a room? I'm sure if they had lots of money, they'd say, ah, of course, you know, come right in. Uh, Mr. Joseph, Mrs. Mary, how are you this evening? Yes, of course, we have the deluxe suite for you. Yeah. He'd, he'd, he'd sleep in the, in the street if he was getting the right amount of cash, you know. But since they were poor, there was no place for them. And they had to settle with a spot where they kept animals. You can imagine how embarrassed Joseph would be as well. Because a father wants nothing but the best for his family, for his wife, for his child. Even if it's not his child, but for the, the incarnate Son of God who's going to be born, he's at least the best. But their poverty impedes them from having what is worthy of the Son of God. G.K. Chesterton said that it was, it's interesting that the God who is above all of the heavens would choose to be born below the earth. He seeks the last place of all. St. Paul says in the letter to the Philippians as well, he annihilated himself, became nothing, so that he can lift us up from our misery. And these are the things we need to contemplate. We live in a society here in the United States above all, that as a consumerist society, it is the danger of capitalism. Capitalism, if you understand it one way, it can be understood as a free market. St. John Paul II speaks about the free market in Centesimus Anus, the encyclica, about the social doctrine of the church. And the positive things about free market, the place that virtue and the charity can play. But if you understand capitalism, as many understand it here in this country, including Catholics, it's basically saying moneyism. And the danger isn't so much the economic system that is in motion, but the philosophical anthropology that is behind it. Whereas you are a consumer. You're not a person. You're a consumer. And you are worth my time in as much as you give me money. Even in the employees. What kind of, why do they offer benefits to the employees? So that they can make a better product and, and gain more money. That's what the, the point of benefits. Because we want to get more money. But at the point when you can't give those benefits, well, maybe it's best time that you look somewhere else for, for work. And we have a mentality where it's just consuming things, consuming things. And we all fall into it. It's not like we're guilty. It's just what's floating in the air. We're, we're breathing the air. And so, like it or not, we share in the mentality of a consumerist world. United States, Europe, it's all the same. And we have, to learn, we have to learn to look at Jesus. Here in the States, we like to say, what would Jesus do? Which is an excellent theme by which to live. Because if you were to go before the Lord and present all of the things that you've done with your time, with your money, with your intelligence, would he be pleased? Is this what he would have asked you to do? Is what he would do if he was in your shoes? It's an excellent uh, examination of conscience that we should make before him. There's a friend, one of the, an older brother of one of our brothers, 
was working as a, in a Catholic school here in Florida. And I remember he, him telling us, well, his, his brother told us, because he's a very humble guy, but he told his brother, who's one of our priests, that when he got his new job, he bought an, an iPad. This is back when the iPad came out, and then you have all of it, it's so easy. You know, you have an iPad, you have everything that you need when you need it. And he was really excited. He got home and he opened it up, and he said he looked at it, and he felt in his heart he couldn't, he couldn't accept using this iPad. And he put it back in the box, and he returned it to the store. Because he felt like the Lord was telling him that he was living a lack of poverty, of Christian poverty. It's something good. It's something... He wasn't doing anything evil in buying a new iPad. But everything that he could have done with that iPad, he can do just as easily with other means. And the Lord convicted him, and the iPad went back to the store. And I was impressed. I was very impressed by the decision, because it seems like something so simple that doesn't make any difference. But for God, there is no small things. He said that to St. Faustina. For God, there are no small things. Everything is important in our spiritual life to the Lord. In every act that, is, that conforms us to the mystery of the Word made flesh, saves us from the corruption of the world. So this is what we're looking to contemplate in the mystery of the Holy Family in Bethlehem. Their poverty. Their emptying of all that is humanly respectable. It's not just material things either. We have a tendency to want to be rich in degrees, for example. I got to have another degree. I got to get a master in this, master in that. I got to be the best in my area of work. I got to be the best. And we're obsessed with, with studying and studying and studying. And then young people are in college until they're like 28, 30 years old. And then afterwards, all right, well, you get a good job, but, you know, for what? Have you, have you taken care of your spiritual life? Are you rich in the eyes of God? It's another thing. We, we like to have lots and lots of plans, right? There's, we have a lack of poverty in, in the plans that we make over our life. Young people, well, I was thinking I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that. And you ask them, and what does God want you to do? <gasps> and all of a sudden, it's not so easy. Because they're not willing to sacrifice their plans. Such a good plan. How could God not bless my plans? <laughs> well, the mystery of the incarnate word is that he makes manifest his very being, that he lives in the most holy trinity. Tr Trinitarian theology is that God the Father possesses the infinitude of, of goodness and, and beauty and, and truth. Everything that he is, he pours, out, pours forth into his Son. And the Son receives everything that he is from the Father. And that's what makes them Father and Son. So the very being of, of the Son of God, of the Word of God, is to receive everything. Everything. 
So when we see Jesus born poor in Bethlehem, and we see Jesus working hard poor in Nazareth, and Jesus who dies poor and naked upon the cross, we're just seeing the truth of his, of his being, of what he is in, in God, and what we're invited to be. Jesus didn't have plans. Jesus wasn't worried about getting degrees. Jesus wasn't worried about having stuff. He was worried about doing what his father wanted him to do in every moment, about receiving from day to day, from hour to hour, from minute to minute, uh, the life-giving will of God over him. I have a food of which you do not know. What food? You've been hiding a sandwich somewhere? No, no, no. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. So each moment that we look at him here in the Eucharist, where he is poor as well, he's here. He's all-powerful at the same time that he is powerless. He lets himself be handled by unworthy men. When I decide that he moves from here to there, he goes. If people come and receive him and he falls on the floor, well, he falls on the floor because he becomes a prisoner of love in the Eucharist and he lets himself be powerless in our hands so that he can be close to us. And these are the things that we need to contemplate now in this time of prayer. Go to Bethlehem. Accompany them from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Be present in the moment of his birth. See what, experience what they experience in their hearts. The joy, the sadness, the peace, the silence. It helps to think about the, the hymns that we sing in Christmas. Let's think about the hymns we sing in Christmas. Oh, holy night, uh, silent night. They have very profound lyrics that help us to penetrate into the mystery of the greatness of God made small and humble and poor in the infant in Bethlehem, laid in a painter. When we're done meditating the mystery, or at least we think we're done, St. Ignatius always asks us to have a colloquy, a dialogue with God. Sometimes he says we have to have three dialogues, one with the Blessed Virgin Mary, another one with Jesus, and then another one with the Eternal Father. The idea is that after we contemplate these mysteries, we reflect upon our life. If our life is lived according to the mystery of the Incarnate Word, who is born poor in Bethlehem for love of me, then I need to speak to him. Lord, what do I need to do? Teach me how I need to live. Teach me the things that I need to detach my heart from. Teach me how to love doing God's will. How to love depending upon your will for me in each moment. To love poverty. Poverty, material poverty and spiritual poverty is one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Excuse me. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And speak with him. And at the end, he says, pray in our Father. And that's kind of the conclusion of the prayer that St. Ignatius invites us to do. Now I'm going to leave you alone with the Lord. In, we're going to be here for half an hour, at least, praying. I will advise when half an hour is up, if anyone would like to leave 
and to breathe, great. But the Blessed Sacrament will remain exposed here until 4 o'clock. At 4.15 we will have Holy Mass. So take advantage of the time that He's here with us to meditate, to contemplate. If, if you meditate at one moment and then you receive certain spiritual gifts, write it down. Don't forget about it. Take a rest and then come back and meditate it more. Is it, Lord, do you want to give me some other grace that I didn't get the first time? Just remember what I said last night. In every moment of the spiritual exercises, above all, in these moments of meditation, there is a special grace that God wishes to, to speak to me. So ask Him, listen, be humble, and receive with thanksgiving everything that He wishes to tell you.